Welcome everybody. This is Jack Butler and Michael Portrelli. And we're here to riff a little bit on some themes around global citizenship, um, the lifestyle of a digital nomad, globalization, and essentially a set of things that we have shared interest in and that we've been looking to talk about for a while. So <laughs> we, we think we're going to find this interesting and, and we hope that you do too. Yeah, we've uh, never done this before. Yeah. It's our first time. Right on. Yeah. So, yeah, good to be here. I'm glad we finally made this happen. Yeah. Um, so I think we should start with some stuff about global citizenship. Cool. You know, I'm, uh, I'm fresh off five months traveling the world, and one of the, the themes I was exploring in this was what does it mean to be a global citizen mm -hmm. and to kind of be in that experience a bit more myself. And uh, we know that... If you look on Google, for example, there's 20 times more searches on global citizen, I think, than there was in 2007. So this is a meme that's on the rise. So if people haven't heard the phrase global citizen or global citizenship, uh, expect to soon. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, what's like, do you have any sort of way of parsing out for people what, what a global citizen is and why that's of interest to you? I, yeah, I, it's an interesting term. I mean, I remember uh, when friends of mine who traveled a lot like back in the 90s in my college years would they would get really excited about finding opportunities to potentially have like multiple citizenships so that they right. could travel more freely and right. it was like oh what's what's the best combination of passports or citizenships that you could you could do and and the idea here was that like freedom to be where you wanted to be and experience what you wanted to experience uh, was preferable to being more contained totally. or isolated and like ideas of nationalism or patriotism were kind of passe or conservative and, and this yes. idea like maybe a generation ago the idea of having multiple citizenships might have been looked down on or like uh, treasonous uh, treasonous <laughs> right and now it's like it's cool like well how many of these different things can we like uh participate in right i think there's i think there's a, a sense that the world is smaller from global, global media yep. and from the internet and from things being more easily and readily translated and totally and international news just travels everywhere and and i and people are just at least of of my age or of my demographic or whatever like more more world centrically oriented totally yep and that's maybe the cultural background to this idea of global citizenship, even though there isn't, you know, there isn't like a place, like an organizational body that says like, here's a, here's your card. Well, there is. <laughs> to be a global citizen. There is. There is. Yeah, okay. there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a world citizenship association, I think is their name. Gary Davis was an American guy who after World War II had this strong vision of world citizenship and sort of famously interrupted the UN in, I don't know. Really? Yeah, like in Paris. I guess it maybe it was even the conventions where they were forming the UN uh -huh. and declared himself like a world citizen and huh. renounced his US citizenship. And ever since then, you've been able to get a world citizen passport if you apply to these guys. Now, of course, no you know, passport authority worth its salt recognizes it. Uh -huh. But in a number of countries where perhaps the standards are not as rigorous as they are, you know, in, in the developed world, people can travel on it. 
a little bit. No right? way. I mean, yeah. Huh. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So the this is um, this is the same collection of people that are into ideas about world federalism, global citizenship, and there's various strains of how they want that to look. But Gary Davis is often held up in those you know, uh, communities as a sort of a, a hero who proclaimed, you know, I'm a citizen of the world, much like Socrates did hmm. 2,000 years before. That's cool. I think a lot of people are not aware of this guy so, or this idea yeah, pretty, of Yeah, pretty formally. fringe movement, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what but, people... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, but the, the interesting thing is it had much more currency in the time of the formation of the UN. So interesting. on the back of, the, of World War II and the total devastation of World War II, people were more open to the idea of, wow, we've got these nuclear weapons. Like, we could really initiate the end of the world. We need to get a handle on this. And maybe one way is to have a world government. And so yeah. it, it's, it's, it, I think it was actually quite in the balance whether the UN would be as sort of soft as it has been or would be something that was much like much more like a world parliament and that's why mm -hmm. there was a kind of race to like where is it going to be based and it was sort of would it be geneva and did the u.s want it was the u.s really part of that vision mm -hmm. um but something like a hundred senators signed up a, a an early stage bill that would have seen the u.s cede some of its military sovereignty to a global body and then that's the cold war happened and that that window that, shut and it's never yeah. reopened really that's interesting so just to point out that there are certain points in history that things become possible. Totally, of, totally. You know. And maybe we're living in a different point in history where some of that is, this kind of ideas are more in people's minds. And I think we've got this little mind map here on this board we've Beautiful. drawn. And some of these, I think, interconnect. And the way it seems most strongly from, from my point of view, or like a, a strong thread here is is people who are, you know, there's this whole idea like the do-it-yourself movement right. and people taking matters into their own hands and people uh, you know, choosing the kinds of infrastructure or social services that they want or choosing to live and work where they want. Yes. And a lot of this is becoming enabled by technology. So this isn't so much a response to the nuclear war. I mean, yes. that is another kind of technology, but now it's more of a, yeah. a positive technology Absolutely. where people can... You can incorporate, you can have multiple companies, you can run your companies off of your laptop, you can travel anywhere that has internet access because internet access is most everywhere now. Yeah. And you can run your company from wherever you're at. Yes. And people are like, oh, cool. Well, if I don't have to be tied down to, to a mortgage or yes. to a local community or to a government or to a state, I can do those things for myself. Yes. And I would prefer to do those things. Like there's this whole digital nomad idea. And I think they had the first ever digital nomad world conference or yeah, something. Second one actually. Second Thailand. one. I nearly went. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so this idea like people that are opting into a certain kind of uh, individualistic, like independent lifestyle. Yes. It's not so much about being for uh, this idea of like a global political body or like no. a global organization or a global military but it's more about opting towards like like almost like a radical libertarian style freedom yeah yeah, yeah. it's like it's like global lifestyle design yeah 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 it's a lot of people in that i mean i you know on my travels one of the things i was doing was testing location independent work you know so i was doing my coaching and consulting from kenya from india and from bali Bali was the only place, you know, in Ubud, 
sort of called the, the global capital of co-working right now. That was the only place huh. where I was really around other people who were doing that. Doing so, it. Yeah, and I, I went to uh, Ubud or the hub in Ubud, which is the, the first and kind of premier co-working space in Ubud. And, you know, it's much like a co-working space in other places, but there's, yeah. it's just very global in the constituents. And uh, How did you like it? Did you enjoy it? I, I liked it because um, working in Bali is actually a challenge for me given the, the climate, right? So oh, I, I, that's the thing like I didn't the, completely the anticipate. Yeah, there's the combination of the heat and the humidity. Yeah. So sometimes I'd be getting up and being like, right, I want to get stuff done today. But the physiological reality was like, my brain feels kind of mushy and I'm sweating all over my laptop. Oh, man. <laughs> so uh, the nice thing about the, the co-working space is that you know, they've, they've kind of got fans and yeah. it, it's much cooler. Um, you know, I, yes, I enjoyed it. There was also a sense for me of like, this could be anywhere. So it's kind of cool that this is in Bali, but like this is no better than going to Impact Hub in Boulder. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's sort of different because it's more global and there's a bit more of a mashup. Yeah. But it, it, it's a bit like, you know, go to, go to you can go to Starbucks in Boulder, or you can go to Starbucks in yeah. Thailand and same thing. You yeah. Know? So there was a little bit like, yeah, I've, I've been here. I've done that. I used to go to Hub One, as I would call it, the first ever Impact Hub before it was even called Impact Hub in Is Islington in London in mm -hmm. 2004. So I sort of feel like I've seen the kind of co-working phenomenon a little bit from its and know, that's another example of this, you know, Actually, the arrival of telecommuting, totally. the arrival of uh, like shared workspace and co-working. Yes, and a lot of this is not it's not so much like governments that are building out these things, but it's more private enterprise that are building all these different lifestyle alternative yes. ways. You know, everything from your, you know, how is it that you accept payment on your website through like well. Where do you physically want to set up? I mean, we're here at the Integral Center in Boulder in yes. a little co-working conference room yes. like itself where people come and they set up and they go and there's, yes, it's very loose. It's not the tight sense of community you get potentially in a, in a corporate world where everyone's like syncing up about the work. Yes. But, but on the other hand, this kind of space and this idea of, of sharing space is, is becoming more widespread and enabling this type of lifestyle design for people for people who really want it. Like, it, I think it suits only certain kinds of people from maybe certain cultures or maybe a certain developmental perspective or something. You want to yes. talk a little bit about that? Well, I think it's quite a progressive liberal constituency. It's hmm. my observation. I mean, I know co-working a little bit more through the impact social enterprise space. Mm -hmm. So I haven't been to say WeWork, which I, th I think WeWork is sort of like the global co-working leader by market capitalization. I think they're now worth something like eight or $10 billion. We work. Yeah, wow. so I think they've really sort of nailed the, the model for, for small companies, for startups, for mm -hmm. you know, Joe Freelancer. Um, in the social enterprise space, that tends to involve people who are quite progressive in their mindset and who are very much about making the world a better place and whose chosen vehicle of choice is normally startup or NGO or something equivalent to that. Right, people who maybe in previous generations would have been more into, especially thinking of like turn of the twentieth century, like big, broad political movements, like like socialism, or or in the nineteen sixties, like in like these bigger, yep. like uh, civil rights type yep. movements. Now yep. it's a little bit expressed in a more uh, like 
specialized custom way. Like we're going to do it through entrepreneurship or through yes. socially conscious enterprise. And then we're going to, we're going to do it in the cities that we want to do it. And we're going to find the people that are interested in this particular kind of cause. Yes. And we're going to have a globe spanning team that's internet worked with, you know, video conferencing yes. or, or whatever. It's like, it's, it's the same almost ethos being channeled in a different way. Yes. Towards like make the impact you want to have the way that you want to have it instead of trying to wrestle with these larger impersonal bureaucratic type political yeah. bodies. Yeah. Which, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I also well, think is kind of cool. It's a different way of doing organization, isn't it? So it's, yeah. it's a kind of democracy, like organizational democracy. Obviously, you're into holacracy. Mm -hmm. That's yep. sort of a version of, of running an organization differently, yep. which is more empowered, which is more transparent. Mm -hmm. Um, which has more constitutional flexibility. Mm -hmm. And the average person in a co-working space, it seems to me, does some kind of solo business freelancing, but yeah. then will probably, you know, maybe a bit like your relationship with the IC, right? Like they're gonna have some kind of other collective that they're part of and they contribute to. Right. And uh, yeah, they have a sort of portfolio orientation to how they do their work. You know, the question when you go to a co-working space is what projects are you working on? If you, right. if you said that in another context, like if you said that to someone in the corporate world or if you said it to someone who sort of, you know, I don't know, had a life career at IBM, yeah. that question like what projects are you working on? Some of which are going to be for money, some of which aren't. Yeah. I mean, we're crossing all kinds of lines of, of how people make meaning socially and economically. Totally. Um, and I think it's exciting. And, yeah. And it's part of, you may want to talk to this bit, your, you know, your universal stack pro protocols <laughs> right i don't know if there's a way that you can just kind of nail it talk succinctly to what that is but i i feel like co-working and you know uh, wi-fi standards and um just the share the shared way that people are doing work in all sure. these different places from bali to goa to seattle sure i mean the way that i think of global uh citizenship or a global economy or a global way of organizing people yes is more like a bottom-up way uh -huh. where there are certain things that become ubiquitous and I mean you could stretch it all the way back and say like reading like and writing was invented or, at right. a certain point and now yes. reading and writing is fairly yes. ubiquitous or even something like science or yeah right yeah. something like science uh, the Academy in the you know late Middle Ages kind of rising up like that type of stuff but now I think we're, we're laying in these, these type of protocols more digitally and more quickly. Yes. So like the internet, the fundamental internet protocols are now adapted universally. It does, I mean. Yes, so what this basically means is I can open my laptop anywhere in the world and connect to Wi-Fi and, through right. the same set of protocols. Exactly, yes. exactly. Which, which people love that, right? Yep. A lot of people who are anti-globalization love that. Totally. Right? So there's, there's some interesting paradoxes in here. Totally. And you know, Bitcoin is now this digital cryptocurrency, and there's a whole lot of other smaller, lesser well-known ones. But the idea is like, well, do we, need, do we need the state or some kind of central bank that's like backed by the power and the reputation of a, of a military or a bureaucracy or whatever yes. to ensure that this currency means something? Or can we essentially collectively decide that right. it means something together, and that's the backing of the users of Bitcoin are essentially giving it its value, yes. like yes. through just participation, participation, and yeah, and belief, which is which is kind of cool. Which is it's weird because the belief in the state is the belief that backs the state-backed currency, so it is another form of belief. Yes. It's just that the the 
the essentially the what is considered a, a valid like thing to yes. believe in yes. we've kind of expanded totally. our definition yes. to this wider set of of protocols that are so so i think this is another thing that like tech savvy i think is a is a demographic yes. for people that are into this digital nomad global citizen population that i think is growing yes yeah yes yes liberal yeah. and progressive tech savvy usually fairly well educated yeah usually have a macbook or some other kind of quite uh-huh. nice piece of apparatus uh-huh. the other thing i i think they do too is i think they're into um like they're very independent and individualistic like i think there's a certain comfort i've gone from yep. being like a freelancer to the corporate world and back and forth and yes in the corporate world there's a lot of comfort and almost uh it's like i sort of outsource a certain degree of accountability like my sure. boss is expecting me to show up yeah you know but they're giving me all this great equipment and yes. there's a whole bunch of people who are expecting things from me yes and i don't need to worry about like low level things because yes. like that's it's just all handled yes right but what i'm trading is independence yes and freedom like i have to be at a certain place yep in a certain location for a certain amount of time probably looking a certain way yep and looking yep. in a certain kind of way but on the on the flip side, like if you want to be more in the DIY digital nomad world, yes, you've got to be able to do all that stuff for yourself, totally. or at least be able to acquire the kind of social and technological infrastructure that yes. would keep you on track. Because when it's all up to you, yeah, you know, you could just yeah sleep in all day, totally and We've all done smoke that. pot, and eat pizza, like yeah. and watch you know yeah watch like binge a whole watch series of Netflix, right? Exactly, right. Right. You could just totally do that. Yes. More easily. Yes. So so that's another characteristic I think of these of this demographic of people who are into this is like they have actually connected a lot of dots and found ways of connecting with each other or connecting to software services or connecting to online communities or yes. connecting to podcasters who tell yes. them how to like do hacks. mind hacks or life hacks yes. to like keep them doing it yes. that gives them this freedom to essentially pick and choose like opt in and opt out of the things that they want and don't want yes and build the life that they want in a really like hyper it's like hyper customization yes almost. yes so let's talk about opt in opt out a little bit sure because it feels like a lot of us are living increasingly in, a, in an opt-in society, particularly people who would be resonating with the sort of stuff that you've just said. Yeah. You know, so I opt into Netflix. It's, you know, eight bucks, 10 bucks a month. I can cancel it at any time. Mm-hmm. I have Spotify or Pandora. So a lot of software as service kind of stuff. Um, maybe, you know, like you were saying earlier, you, you use Uber and Lyft, right? So it's like right. very like on-demand sort of service. Yeah. Um, there's no problem if you don't use Uber for three months. No one's going to be calling you, giving you hassle. Yeah. Um, they kind of go together, the opting in and opting out. Like for the right. car, for example. Right. Like I I travel a lot, but I, I don't like travel a lot internationally like you do right. more of. I do uh, in the in the States. I yeah. go from San Diego to Boulder to San Francisco, like in a triangle. Yes. Like over and over again. Yeah. And it's like I have a little home base in each place. Yes. And it's so I sort of opted out of automobile ownership, but I've yes. opted in to ride shares. Yes. And there's there's a trade off like there. Like I can sometimes I can borrow a car or hitch rides with friends. Yes. Uh, and you know, the immediate like dollars per mile is much higher on a ride share. Yes. But all these other periodic costs are just Yeah. I don't have to Vaporized. pay any attention. They're yeah. just gone. Yeah. Like insurance and repair and maintenance and that kind of thing. Totally. 
Yeah. And in, I mean, less of an issue in Boulder, but somewhere like San Francisco parking. Yeah. It's just such a transactional cost to parking, you know? Yeah. Which they've, you know, there's some cool apps where you can now like just give your car to someone and they'll bring it back to you when you want it. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what they do in between, but I'm, I'm not sure that one actually ended up working out. Or oh, not. did not? Yeah, the it's, they, they've tried. They've right. tried these things. But that, yeah, I've had that thing where you, you know, you're going out for a dinner in San Francisco yep. and it takes you 45 minutes to park. You know, right? And That's a like, huge part of your night. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, so the main point is about this opt in, opt out. Yes. How does that work politically? Like, what can we really opt in and opt out of politically? Right now, this is really interesting to me because I think the the mindset of opting in and opting out. Yes. Like it's easy, I think, maybe in a way that wasn't in the past to like think, oh, can I opt out of state or governmental services or yes. opt into other other methods that I want? And yes. like the thing that I've seen uh, in that is some of the lifestyle design people get into is uh, uh, it's called like five flags or being right. like a perpetual traveler or like a post tax taxable person or something some, something like that yes. where they they build up and you know there's a variety of ways to do this and so the five uh, flags is that you're going to live in five different countries none of which is your residence none basically. of which is your yeah one of them is you know you you go you, you you incorporate in a place that has low corporate taxes right and then you like spend your money in a place that has low transactional taxes and you have resident you know you have residence and you get your passport from a place that does not tax money that's earned outside of the country. And then right. all of your money is like taxed outside. And then like you have the other place where all your assets and your bank accounts are stored, like like the Panama yes. papers, like like one of these kind of offshore yes. tax haven style, like, you know, numbered account places. Yes. And, and you can, you know, in this very DIY way, go online and find people who tell you how to systematically go do this kind of yes. thing. And essentially what they've done is just opted out of... Uh, you know the state entirely they they're just no yes. longer really they're participating and in a way they are full out global citizens of it's sort of like global non-citizens <laughs> non-citizens <laughs> sure yes yeah cuz it's it it could be a little bit of an individualistic orientation right it's sort of it's quite it's quite yeah. consumer oriented behavior in a certain way right it's like i want this i want that i don't want this right and there's something that's really powerful about making those choices, you know, because there's a whole set of governmental spend that we aren't really opting into in any powerful way, right? It's like we're, mm -hmm. our representatives are opting into it somehow on our behalf and then permeating those decisions through a massive bureaucracy that compared to those of us that are in lean culture and startup culture and social enterprise culture, it feels massively bloated and unstrategic and totally. statist and yeah know. totally yeah like the, this is the whole like the system is just corrupted and it doesn't really matter what the policies ultimately are by the time they you know yeah. come back to us they're all screwed up in 10 different ways you know right like, and that i mean that's a bit of a almost like a political apathy that i think is fairly rampant in the u.s to to a large degree mm -hmm. in terms of like voter turnout or how successful like really outsider candidates are especially this election totally cycle, yeah we'll like trump yeah. or like bernie we could talk more about them but uh th this idea of opting out what i think is i don't think they're completely they're like the opting out and the opting in are always go together there's something else that people are opting in for and i think 
especially in light of you know Panama Papers and these very powerful people who are just like hoarding all the money in these offshore accounts. Yes. Like, that's kind of the image of like the opting out person. Yes. But there also are people who are opting into essentially voluntarily giving tons of their money to those most needy people in the world because they believe that they right. can actually like solve the world's social problems. Yes. So this is like effective altruism. Right. Yes. The effective altruism movement, specifically there's a thing called Give Directly, which yes. is essentially they compared how well it was to do like micro loans, which became yes. really big with Grameen Bank. Yes. Versus just giving the money without expecting anything in return. And actually they all the fears of like people mooching or people not yes. really taking that money and turning it into something productive didn't turn out. And actually like it's socially better. And this is one of the socially other better to give than loan. So socially better to give than micro loan. That's interesting. And they've demonstrated this in several places, which is another demonstration of this uh, this it's not quite DIY, but it is this uh, startup Silicon Valley mindset. Yes. Like try something test it, yes. get the result from yes. it, and then use the thing that works. It's like it's yes. like A-B split test everything, like totally. including social policy. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I, think, I mean, whether it's uh, you know an organization like GiveDirectly or it's a government, I can't see what the argument is against having more A-B split testing to really know what's working, right? And, and I'm sure we can get more complex than A-B in right. our pathways. Right. Um, yes. I was just still with that, like giving versus loaning. And I was just thinking about starting a company. It's almost the difference between going to the bank and groveling for a loan or going to like a local business angel who's like, yeah, I like your business. Here's 20K. Give it a go. Right. And actually that energy of someone being like, I'm supporting you kind of unconditionally, right? If they're yeah. not expecting the money back, that there's probably energetically something quite powerful about, oh, someone's got me. Yeah. You know, because I, I think probably for a lot of, well, for a lot of us, anyway but i think particularly if you're really at the bottom of the socioeconomic pyramid yeah. it's like no one's really got you right like yeah. i mean maybe your social structure and your family and so on but like you know i just came back from the urban slum where there are no social services the government has opted out yeah. of supporting that community for historical reasons land reasons and, mm, and so it's like where was this this is kibera the the urban slum in nairobi oh, that huge or one of the that giant slums giant one yeah i mean geographically small but huge in terms of population right so yep. the, the, you know the very the population estimates vary but maybe seven hundred and fifty thousand people wow. in one or two square miles wow you know this kind of thing i mean to, to kind of talk about other global trends that are connecting to this yes uh this informal economy or this kind of gray market economy like there are so many people that are moving supposedly this is the greatest demographic population movement from essentially rural farmland areas yes. to urban centers and yes. these places like like Rio or Mumbai yes. or other global Lagos. right there yes. massive influx of people and it's actually yes. outstripping cities, they call them. Yeah. The, it's outstripping the capability of the oh. local governments to actually provide the services yeah. so they have to do it and this is a weird huh. This is a weird, it's like not the the sort of like elite progressive Westerners who are like these yes. digital nomads out in Bali, yes. but it is a whole bunch of people living in, essentially, we got to build the shanty towns and we've got to like make this work for ourselves. And so yes. there's like all these huge amount of transactions that are taking place, essentially 
outside of what we typically think of as like, you know, fully state endorsed yes. market and taxed exchange of goods and services. It's yes. just everything is under the table because it kind of has to be yes. because the state can't keep up with it. Yes. Which is another interesting trend that I think is also happening globally. And it's a weird kind of, I, don't, I wouldn't think of them as they're very sort of super local citizens in a way. Yes. But they're, but they're participating in an indirect way in this broader yeah. DIY, like informal exchange yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of things, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. The comparison between digital nomads who are kind of opting out of government services because they're yeah. just like, I'll use Spotify, I'll use Facebook, I'll stay in this country, I'll use Airbnb, yeah. and so on. And the poorest of the poor in the urban slums who don't have any social services for their government, so are finding other community, NGO, collaborative ways to, to, yeah. to meet their yeah. needs. Because in the slum, for example, there's no police, right? The, yeah. the police are only going to come, this is what people say, if they're economically incentivized. So if I know that you're doing something that's illegal enough and you're making enough money that yeah. I can come and slap you with a fine and you'll, you'll pay me off as a, as a cop, then they'll come. Yeah. So which it's not about not serving and protecting. We, not really. I mean, right. as whatever people think about the police force in the U.S. and I know people have issues with it mm-hmm. and its militarization potentially. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a sense that mostly the police are in some way serving, even if there are ways that it needs to be improved, or even if there are groups. You know, like the whole Black Lives Matter, where you know there's questions about police integrity. Totally. It's like, I don't think we have any concept in the West of what it's like to have no access to law enforcement. I mean, I say that, I grew up rurally in, uh-huh. in, in England, and there was a sort of vibe that when a police car would come and ask someone a question, people would probably deliberately not help in the answer. Because there's that sort of mistrust of, yeah. of the law. The law, as you call the police. The, the law's coming, right? <laughs> so uh, I, that's probably the closest experience that I've got. And in a lot of rural England, you know, police backup is quite far away. I remember one of my friends had moved from being in the the metropolitan police force, where mm-hmm. there's really quick response teams, to rural Warwickshire, where there was only six police for the whole of this southern Warwickshire constituency or constabulary. Oh wow! And so there's a lot of strategic decisions by the police as to whether they're going to engage because they're uh-huh. generally going to be massively outnumbered if there's like three armed dudes robbing a place. Oh wow! Um, yeah. So, you know, that said. It's not like there's a. It's not like the we have a complete absence of police and due process and a court system. Right. So in the slum, if someone's caught it's stealing, all, yeah. it's all local justice, right? Yeah. So we might, if people steal repeatedly, they might necklace you, right? They might put a tire around your neck, fill it with petrol, and set you on light, because that's how we do justice in this sort of very intense face-to-face community where really we know everyone and we need to kind of trust everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think the ultimate. Some of these images that are you're conjuring, yeah, you, like the ultimate, like fear or potentially like fruition or expression of this is anarchy, right? Right, and I think there's, you know, there's the kind of everyday uh, usage of the word anarchy, like yes. it's just this lawless craziness, which yes. is something that does happen in these, these these shanty towns and these like high density places yes. where it's like there is no other choice but essentially to seek protection and security from the local gang lord or whatever totally. it is yeah um to something that's more uh this especially like in you know central and eastern europe at the turn of the 20th century this rise of anarchism that kind of rose up around the same time as socialism like as a formal 
political philosophy, which is yes. let's just do away with the state altogether because yes. there is a better way. Yes. And, you know, there, there's without going into too much detail, there's a lot of varieties of this formal idea of anarchism. But yes. the idea here is, is not we're going to go to lawless chaos, but that we'll actually do even better. The social infrastructure, however it is that it is collectively governed or collectively owned or collectively shared, there's a lot of paradigms for it. Yes. But like, let's opt out entirely of all this. Yes. And what I'm finding is kind of interesting is, at least in the communities and the people I'm talking, there's more of an interest in this classical, like, anarchism. Like, huh. we actually had a meetup here for a while. No way. At the Integral Center where people were getting together and talking about, like, well, how do we how do we get there? Or what is That's the pathway? What is the pathway to it? And this, yes. you know, the ultimate opting out, you know, we talked about this five flags thing. Yes. Where essentially you're not, you're a former taxpayer now. Yes. But you can, you can opt out of the monetary system with Bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies. Yes. Yes. So now you're no longer, tr you're trading based on a currency that's backed by a state. state. Yes. Uh, and, and the idea here is like, you know, instead of trying to work from within the political system to reform it or to change it. Yes. Is, uh, like just use trade or economics or free exchange and just try to work around it, around it and yes. essentially it will crumble because yes. enough of us you know caught this wave and opted into all these different protocols yes. and and we're just doing it better yes. like this idea it's almost like the burning man culture too like this do it like do hyper yeah individual yep. hyper like self-reliant duocracy yes. like let's make it kind of happen and I think it's interesting. Like yes. I think it's there's a lot of possibility there that kind of merges back with this idea of being being a global citizen. Yes, yes. Well, a big thing in that is participation. Mm -hmm. That's that's one of the amazing things about Burning Man is the level of participation that people experience, not just at Burning Man, but the crazy stuff that people will spend their whole year building. Yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes the social good part of me is like. Yeah, couldn't we take this creative talent and like solve some problems for solve people? some real problems but, you know <laughs> that notwithstanding it, when people participate it's it's actually a rational choice i think for people not to participate in the current political system it's a rational choice not to vote in many ways that's the voter paradox right like uh -huh. you know i grew up in an area that has always been conservative and i've mm -hmm. never voted conservative mm -hmm. so i don't think that's going to change anytime soon so yeah i can keep voting for other parties but is that really, is it, is it really participation to vote once every five years? You think of the level of participation you and I have in our work and our missions and the things that we care about in our communities, mm -hmm. and then I'm gonna vote once every five years for one of two or three candidates, none of whom I'm particularly inspired by? I don't know, I just, so I think there's, uh, uh, which is one of the reasons why when I talk to world federalists who have this view that we could solve some global challenges if we had a global state to handle them, I'm sort of like, well, I think we need to reimagine democracy. We need to reimagine participation because mm -hmm. actually it's not a rational choice to participate right now. And by the way, representative democracy was designed, you know, two or 300 or more years ago at a time mm -hmm. when it made sense because it took 19 days to take the horseback message of the Gettysburg Address to California. Yeah. Now we're in this instantaneous society with the wisdom of the crowd. Is, is our representative making better decisions than you, me, and a, a few of our informed friends could make? I don't think so. 
I don't believe that. I don't think they're having deep philosophical conversations. I don't hear anyone in the Houses of Parliament talking about yeah. John Stuart Mill or any theory of democracy or participation. Yeah. Well, this, well, what's interesting that you're bringing so up this... Rant there, but no, yeah. this is good. <laughs> I care about that. I, I, yeah. Well, what's interesting is, um, you know, like reading a lot of this press about Trump, especially yes. the progressive left yes. criticizing Trump. The, the progressive left is now touting like, oh, like, well, out the separation of powers... You know, uh-huh. or the separation of the legislature into the higher house and the lower house. Like, yes. let the elites, you know, be the senators. Like, this idea of this actually had a chilling or a calming yes. effect on the madness of the crowd. Like, they were yes. talking about the wisdom of the crowd. Yes. They were living in the aftermath yes. of like the like several iterations of the French just yeah. like revolution, ch- like chopping yeah. each other's heads off. Yes, and they're going like, okay, well, let's let's try to build in something that both harnesses the wisdom of the crowd, so to speak, yes. but also dampens it, tempers it, yes. and and there's a way that like, um, like a demagogue like like Trump yes. or you know Hitler, who actually completely came up through the Weimar Republic, which was a representative democracy, right, and he'd use all like legitimate means all yes. along the way to essentially consolidate his power. Yes, like they're saying like, well, it's actually good that we have this. Uh, the institutions that we have. Yes. This is, which is kind of funny. I'm actually kind of normally, I'm I'm the <laughs> DIY yes. anarchist guy. And now I'm I'm kind of bridging over into this these ideas of like, well, is there a role or a place for these these institutions or these broader bureaucracies or these broader domains? And this is going all the way back to the you know the UN and is the UN yes. going to be the global governance and or is it going to be now like how much power is going to be in the EU yes. and and Brussels and yes. governing that and that is actually a huge issue and you were just I think spent some time over in, in the, the UK, UK. Yeah. yeah yeah I ended my trip in the UK so say I... more about your experiences there uh, well I, I wanted to tap into the conversation about the referendum and I wanted to try and play a, a part in that I was so just, this is the referendum for the UK to depart entirely from the EU. Well, something. hopefully to remain, but yes, to remain. Th- that is the option on the table. <laughs> yes, it. it's, it's to remain or to leave, and uh, leaving is often referred to as Brexit, you know, British exit. Got it. And so the, yeah, Brexit. this is, this is uh, June 23rd next month. And yeah, I spent some time going to a number of different events. All the events I went to were in London, and London is definitely more of a pro-remain constituency. Right, it's cosmopolitan. It's cosmopolitan. And cosmopolitan people are more internationally minded. Anyway, yes, absolutely, yeah. got it. Yep, and uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of European citizens that live in London. Like it's it's obviously the the major destination for for incoming EU citizens, and essentially, I see this in my mind as part of the same conversation as Trump, because mm-hmm. I think the bigger themes going on can include globalization yeah and where do you where do you orient vis-a-vis globalization you know are you benefiting from globalization in the sense you know maybe you're a digital nomad that's going to work in bali maybe you're an italian born person who got educated in germany and now has a job in london yeah and so you're part of the exchange of people ideas labor capital yes you know or are you in a white working class community in rural england mm-hmm. where the proportion of passport holders is probably lower and the mm-hmm. proportion of people that leave the country regularly or semi-regular is lower. And you've 
probably seen a very mild wage depression. When I looked into it, it's actually a penny an hour they think is the wage depression that's a, as a result of um, the European Union and the f kind of free movement of people in, in the lowest job classes. Oh, interesting. Because people have come in willing to work for cheaper, right? That's the basic thing. And there's a whole informal yep. economy there yep. that works. Yep. Um, Trump is talking to that constituency. In the yeah, US, I the US equivalent. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. And I think the Leave campaign, which is, uh, it's basically one portion of the Conservative Party, Yeah, which has, it's a, there's been this long, long, long standing split in the Conservative Party about Europe. Uh -huh. And it's often been this internal drama that has, has cost them at elections. Like there's certain elections where they've really gone after Europe, like keep the pound and, and they lost the election. Um, so it's like the Eurosceptic, side of the party has teamed up with the UK Independence Party uh -huh. who have really had only one agenda in some ways around leaving the European Union mm -hmm. and this referendum has been really driven by a fairly narrow but quite angry part of society who have been waiting for years to have their chance for this referendum so this is almost like for a lot of particularly the older people in the movement this is their mm -hmm. one shot one opportunity mm -hmm. to you know to take the UK out of the EU and their constituency, I think are the people who are most problematized by glo globalization. They don't get the upside, but they have a lot of the potential downside. People moving into their community that don't integrate that well. Right. People taking their jobs. Right. Their kids going to school with kids that speak Polish and they're like, why, why is there Polish speaking going on in our school? We don't want that, you know? Yeah. Or even I, I've had it when you're walking down a street in London, you're like, all right, I don't, I mean, I guess that's a Polish delicatessen, but I don't speak Polish, I don't read it. so. I'm not going to go into that shop, probably. Right. Um, so I, th I actually think that to sort of bring this into a little bit of an integral context, sure. it's like th there's not much tolerance in the postmodern community for the sort of insistence on cultural integrity that some of the right wing has. Yes. So you can't really make the argument that I don't want, I don't want kids speaking Polish in the UK. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want that to be now we're going to bring on a, a Polish assistant at the school to help translate or... You know, that, that will get knocked down by the postmoderns who are saying you've got to be way more inclusive, we're all, we're all valuable, we love everyone. And I think that's why the liberals have lost a lot of momentum in this referendum because there's a massive constituency of people who just don't think and feel that way, who feel like there's something called being English and British that we hold dear in a certain way that is being problematized by unprecedented levels of European migration and a lot of it not particularly skilled. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird clash of cultures but it does yeah. seem to line up that uh people who are more nationally identified yes and this is this is like opt-in opt-out at a completely different level it's like it's like they want to opt so this uk referendum like yes. this group of people that they want to they want the state of the uk yes to opt out of this larger entity, governmental and entity yes. and identity which is the european identity yes because they want to preserve the the cultural the, the tradition like what it means to be yes. English kind of thing yes which is in, in a weird way like it's analogous to uh, you know the secessionists at the time of the Civil War in the U S or even yes. some Southerners who are still there. Take, they take it seriously about the yes. South will rise again like I don't know how many of them there are but this idea yeah. of like no states rights is really important like we we would rather opt out yes. in a way and become more local and yes and it's strangely it's like it's along the trajectory towards uh -huh. this uh form of international global citizenship that 
that we talked about earlier, yeah. which is coming through anarchism. It's sort of like, it's like opting out all the way back to the individual level in that particular case. But the trajectory is like individual personal freedom and opting yes. out, opting out, opting out. But at this, at the level of the, you might say the, the nationalists or the, you know, the traditionalists or yes. like Trump yes. or the UK, like yes. leave. Yes. Brexit yes. <laughs> group. Brexiteers. Yes. <laughs> you get this thing where it's like, well, well, we really, we actually really care about the, the, the collective identity of this country. Yes. Like make America great again. Make yes. Our team. Make Great Britain great again. It's the same argument, it's I think. The, right. Yeah, and the same rhetoric to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they want they want to preserve this particular kind of thing. Uh, and, and they want to and there's like this mistrust, like this which is which is interesting. So like the the the, yes. the weird parallel to me is that we take this demographic of the digital nomad, the yes. people that are like they're opting out of citizenship entirely. Right. Yes. And they're sort of you know, socially progressive. Yes. Uh, and like almost getting into anarchy, like, or anarchism at least, like in some cases. Yep. Um, very different kind of demographic, but using the similar kind of mindset, at least to the degree that what they're talking about is like mistrust yes. of a larger corrupted system. Yes. Right. And like, let's go our own way. Let's yes. like reclaim what's ours. Let's yes. opt out of a like, no, let's, we don't want to relinquish our arms. We don't want to relinquish our yes. national sovereignty to this larger bureaucratic thing over there in Brussels. Like they totally. don't have our interests at heart. Yeah. Like, totally. or the, you know, it's, it's, it's this weird, you know, the parallels don't go all the way down the line, but like the fact that there's like this much parallel happening, yes. like in, you know, yes. places that are just radically opposite ends yes. of the spectrum, I think is weird yes. and interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of the through lines there is, is government working? Do, do people still believe in government? Is, is there yeah. enough institutional trust, particularly, you know, I think say among some of the younger generations in mm -hmm. government as a solution? Mm -hmm. You know, I'll say this to, to people that are interested in global governments. It's like, so you're talking about, say in America, people, people have a low level of trust in the federal government. I don't hear that many people, okay, we're not in Washington, D.C., but who think federal government is the solution or who mm -hmm. have a lot to say about their federal government. And you want to take that thing that people don't like and you want to now scale it up to a global level and you want people to get behind that and believe in it. Yeah. Right? Whereas if you think of the brands that people trust, uh -huh. you know, a lot of it is Silicon Valley kind of stuff, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, pe <laughs> people, trust, people trust Google, they trust Apple, Apple, they trust Spotify, they probably trust Impact Hub, and mm -hmm. some of these co-working spaces, there's probably a whole set of things they trust that, that uh, they trust um, the Gates Foundation, yeah, right? Or they trust some of these people in the Effective Altruist Network. They're mm -hmm. like, yeah, we, we follow your logic, it's good, boom, we'll do it. Yeah. Um, so there's, it's not that there's a lack of brand trust in, in sort of global problem solving, it's just, it's typically not national governments that people have that level of trust in. I think particularly among some of our social demographic. You know, I, I'm... Yep. So there's this sort of curious thing where people are like, no, we want more power returned to Westminster. And it's like, because you really believe in your MP, your member of parliament? Probably not. But it's more like at an ethnocentric worldview, anything yeah. outside is yeah. gonna, I'm going to mistrust. Why would I want you know, Brussels or Strasbourg or anyone making decisions? Yeah. Um, but I think there's a general problem that the way that government has been constituted is, I think, 
probably from a sort of lower consciousness or level of organization where it's very much hmm. the people and the government and then yeah. the people in the government somehow come together in this sort of Hobbesian idea of a mythic social nation. contract. Yeah, <laughs> Rousseau social contract. And they make the decisions and we vote for them periodically and we're meant to feel free. Yeah. And people are like, no, actually, I can tell you what freedom is. Freedom is I've been bombing around on a plane, visiting Bali, co-working, working yeah. on projects that I care about, using yeah. services that I love that I can opt out of any time. That feels a lot more free. Um, mm -hmm. But I sort of feel like there's some social contract there that isn't fully in place in, in, in my system, right? So I might be a little bit more centrist than you in some ways. And so yeah. it's like I get that the digital nomads have all this freedom but they're not contributing any tax revenue into the Bali economy. And that for me is slightly problematic or there should be yep. some other value exchange. Yep. that's like, cool, I came here, I used your facilities, I used your lower economy, I benefited from geo arbitrage, I should pay something or there should be some acknowledgement of that. Yep. The challenge is you can't typically do that because if you told people that you were going to Bali to co-work, they wouldn't let you in or the police would come around and fine you. So there's no obvious legal mechanism yeah. to do that so which is where sometimes you run into these problems is that if there is which spotify solved right we originally we had napster and it was shut down because it was illegal right and then spotify came in and said well you know it's not just spotify there's a lot of people in this space but it's the one that i use yeah like we can provide a legal low-cost solution that does provide money to artists and then the mainstream majority not okay the techno anarchists but the mainstream majority who want that service will pay and they're They'll like pay. great you solved the problem i want it and yep. so I think eventually there's going to be this whole global marketplace for services and entrepreneurs, visas, and just things that support this kind of global nomadic lifestyle. And so that people can participate yep. and don't have to just work around a system. There's a way to participate through for those that want to. Yeah, I, I think both are developing in parallel. And, right. and you know, market forces or political forces uh, are, they're in a lot of ways like, trying to keep up with the times so yes. to speak like and and on the political side what is interesting to me is is bernie sanders like i'm a human yes. here because uh so he's he's like in a way very pro state like very pro like yeah. government works or we can make yes. it work yes. like let's let's make the social infrastructure like work for all these people and yes. so these these kind of mindset paradoxes that people are actually very comfortable with that people are comfortable with a huge amount of cognitive dissonance right in my mind but like it's like well well there is this brand trust in apple google spotify etc yes. etc cetera, et cetera. and like people are like opting you know out of certain things and opting into their you know their own carefully chosen menu of yes. lifestyle design things or whatever but those same people are all like, no, like Bernie Sanders, he's he's yes. he's the outsider who's going to come in and like Fix the make system. the big system yes. work again, yes. right? And it's kind of like, well, like, yes, maybe those things can coexist in a way. You know, if he's going to like sort of surgically, you know, fix the parts of the big system that are screwed up so that they do work, and then we can still enjoy, you know, yes. our like, you know, our consumerism over here, and you know, our optionality however you want to yes. say it like yes. yes and we can just you know then it'll be like utopia or something like that but he he is in in a sense even though he is an outsider he's still representing this idea that is you know behind the like government can work or the yes. eu the eu can work 
or whatever, like the, the, yes. these larger institutions, the centralizing tendency, yes. the federalizing tendency, yes. there is something that's good in there that we need or something. I, I don't know if I totally agree with that, but like that that's the mindset behind it, Yeah, which is, is also interesting and a strong like movement that's kind of, it's like almost like these things are kind of pulling in opposite directions, but they seem to be coexisting in a lot of subcultures, like progressive liberal subcultures in the United States, for example. Yes. Uh, and I don't quite know what to make of it. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I, I think it's, it's fascinating. The Bernie, I don't think, understands Spotify culture. I'm going to imagine, right? So he's not part of a lot of that optionality that the younger generation that are backing him are into. Right. Bernie is part of this 99%, 1% analysis, right? So Bernie's taking on a lot of the big interests that postmodernism takes issue with mm -hmm. because they're, they're not about the people. Right. And so I see that in the context of this bigger values war that's going on, right? Most of Wall Street is some mixture of traditional money mm -hmm. backed with kind of orange work ethic mm -hmm. right and and it's not about social good it's not you know it's, it's much more greed is good kind of mindset mm -hmm. and so which has had a lot of uh deleterious social consequences totally. that people are pointing out and government has been slow to put back the people on that right like the bank's yeah. got a big bailout no one wants to upset big business Partly back to globalization because big businesses like you, if you piss us off, we'll go to Cayman Islands, we'll go to Switzerland. There's plenty of regimes that want our money. Like, oh, you don't, you don't want Amazon in the UK? Sure, we'll incorporate an island. In this Luxembourg is like the corporations opting out of the states, absolutely, and just shopping around for the best sort of like regulatory regime absolutely. for them. Absolutely, they're doing the same thing, but That's they have Panama Papers. Right they there. have massive power and yeah. influence and corporate lobby money and all those things. So, right. so then the states kowtow to what they want right. to keep them here. Yes, which they can make some valid argument that this is actually in the interest of the people because if Goldman Sachs just pulled everything out of the U.S., that would be a big problem. Yep. Even as much as people like Bernie are taking Goldman Sachs on, obviously, you know, we have to work within the system enough, I guess, over here, probably not being an anarchist. It's like, and they hate, they hate Hillary for that, right? Because Hillary stands for a, another strain of the kind of democratic movement, which is to reform from inside the system, right? She's mm -hmm. like, we're going to continue Obamacare. We're going to build on that. Mm -hmm. We are going to go after the banks. We're not going to like shut them down or do what maybe Bernie's talking about, but we're mm -hmm. going to try and make a fairer contract. Yeah. And somehow that line of thought is completely odious to a lot of the people who are backing Hillary because they see it as in cahoots with the banks, right? And oh, I'm sort of like, from an integral perspective, I'm like, you have to be in cahoots with the banks to some extent because they're such a player in the way that we're doing life, right? Unless you're really going to tear everything down. But my sense is that that's probably going to be de-evolutionary, not evolutionary. So I look at a lot of the Bernie people and I say, I think they've misunderstood Hillary. I'm sure Hillary's done all sorts of things and Bill that you mm -hmm. know are not great. But I wonder if, if they're, it seems to me that they're in a very postmodern mindset. And I wonder if actually mm -hmm. Hillary may have a little bit of integral aptitude or some sort of social intelligence that says you can't alienate all the biggest constituencies in society and pretend that you're going to get things done. Right. So I don't have any belief that Bernie's going to get stuff done. That's, yeah. I'm not, I can't vote here, but if I, I, I wouldn't back Bernie to actually get the things done. He said, I think he's better as an outsider. Yeah. As a critical voice of the system. You know, yeah. maybe he becomes a secretary of state for something, or maybe he becomes the education czar, and we say, this guy's going to champion free college education. Um, 
but I yeah I I I'm curious that the people that 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 back him actually believe that he can do the things they're talking to. I think he's talking about a pent up frustration that people share, but I yeah. don't think his solution set and, yeah. and he as a, as the individual to deliver it is credible. Yeah, I, I mean I don't I don't have a lot of strong opinions about you know Bernie. I, I like him better than Trump, but like the the phenomenon. Oh, I like it. I yeah. think, and I love that he's done what he's done and he's gone yeah. after it. And, and yeah. most of the things that he says, I'm pretty sympathetic to. Totally. I don't believe in undergraduates coming out with 100k of debt for some yeah. education that's going to be outdated already and if not in five ten years yeah the yeah. the question is like where where is the solution like is the solution in yes. reforming the state or or making a, down, a bigger or, regulatory right. system or or whatever or is the solution just like let's like let's work around it like this is back to the people who opt out and yes i don't know if you've heard of this thing called the ethereum project totally uh, they they have just created I don't know how much they've raised now, but they've uh, it's it's called the DAO the D A O uh, it's like oh. the because oh the decentralized autonomous organization yes right yes and what it is is it's essentially like a do you want to just explain what a DAO is just so people sure sure I, I'm gonna explain like this particular example of okay. it uh, it it exists as a digital entity which uh, stores its transactions uh on a permanent record yeah so underlying bitcoin is this yes. thing called the blockchain yes. which is essentially a single like it's like written in stone yes. in a way like that is one transactional record from the beginning of history yes of the bitcoin like all the way until the present that yes. is shared amongst all the so computers fully accessible to anyone it's user. fully accessible it's it's peer-to-peer -peer, it's it's got all these redundancy checks to make sure that the copy cannot be altered by anyone's own self-interest. Right. And the idea here is like, well, once we've built that infrastructure, we can build more than just digital currencies on it. We could build whole organizations that are built with digital contracts or that are built with digital equity or digital shares of this kind of thing. Yes. And so uh, the, the idea here is um, instead of it's, it's like the ultimate in the sharing economy like yes. still with uber and with lyft the shareholders of uber and lyft yes are the primary benefactors of the services yes. and goods of uber and lyft i mean yes. the customers are part of it too yes but it's still tied yes. to shareholder value it's still fairly old model in that sense right like startups yes. with massive venture capital backing it's old model yeah. in the sense that it's it's still you might say like you know owned by the the capitalists or the yes and that that makes sense given the current status of silicon valley but this yes. this group of computer geeks who are really into bitcoin and really yes. into like totally altering the economic and social infrastructure yes this is the ultimate and opt out or another ultimate and opt out yes. i've said that a lot of times <laughs> but like the idea here is like instead of uh like it's a little bit like yes um the co-op movement yes Right, the co-op movement was, you know, more Founded like in, in England, the flesh. Though. That's what they claim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, all of us that work here, and all the you could have a, a, a customer-owned co-op like REI, or you could yes. have a, a worker-owned co-op, yes. or you could have like a hybrid, which is owned by all the customers cool. and yeah. workers together, and they get to not just use the service, use the asset, but they own the asset and yes. they get dividends. benefit and dividends. I get my REI dividend. You get your REI <laughs> dividend. So yeah. it's a it's a cool kind of model. The DAO takes it to a further extreme in the sense that, like the 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 entity itself, it can be like purely digital. Like you're 
Yes. You're saying, uh, like, instead of buying shares in a company like yes. at, on the New York Stock Exchange or yes. something like that, what you do is you you put cash in and you get a chunk of ownership in a collectively owned and collectively governed thing. Yes. And this thing called the DAO is like the, the I guess they're trying to make it the, the prototype or the, mm-hmm. the main one of these distributed autonomous organizations. And the idea is all this capital will be accumulated sort of like a venture capital fund yeah. would go to its investors and gather. But instead of appealing to, you know, yes. maybe like a you, few dozen or a hundred like yeah. very wealthy people, yeah. you're appealing to tens or hundreds of thousands of averagely wealthy people that are pooling their money together. Yes. Is and there then it, like a, is a minimum investment? Or? I don't know what the minimum investment, I don't know much about it, but the right. idea here is, is now you have a fund yes. where you can go, okay, let's fund this project. Yes. But the project itself would then be not owned, it would be owned by the DA, the, oh, oh, the DAO would, would own it. So it's like, huh. if it's essentially funds are now allocated so for like the- socialistic cre- venture capital. Or maybe, maybe yes. that's the wrong word. Or- yeah. It socialistic of, and libertarian social capitalism. It, totally. I mean, there's yeah. a weird way when, if you like take this, you know, these, when we talked about the strains of anarchism or socialism. Yes. If you take them way out to the right or way out to the left, they kind of wrap around and sort of converge yes. again. Yes. Like, you know, so this is a particular like prototype of anarchism where the, the social good is in one sense privately owned. Yes. Right, because it's private investors who are saying, like, give me a share of this, yes. this collective collective digital entity. Right. Yes, um, but it's it's more like socialism in the sense, or like the cooperative, because it's it's massive. collectively owned by a very massive group of people. Yes, right, not a small group of shareholders who yes. are like, you know, they're going to extract all the profit they can yes. out of the asset. Yes. until they're done with it and then they'll just toss it aside and move yes. on right like the, yes. the kind of caricature of the vulture capitalist sort totally. of just moving from asset to asset right yep. like or whatever these build it up huge it funds are doing yeah. on wall street the idea here is like let's replace wall street like yeah. let's re- and let's like replace the state right simultaneously so with this new thing yeah how, how does governance work then when you've got that many people so this is a good question. I, I, there's a lot of different ways it could work. Yes. Uh, you know, there's ways of, in, in the infrastructure of holacracy, there's ways of creating essentially meshwork holacracies, uh, holocratic organizations that are interconnected through a mechanism called the crosslink. That's one Whoa, idea. I want to know yeah, about that. That's one idea. Not CrossFit, uh, crosslink. Crosslink. <laughs> <laughs> Another one I've heard is a thing called the liquid Liquid voting, liquid democracy, delegative. Uh, yes, delegative democracy. Yeah, I'm kind of. I'm into that. Having no on the ground experience of it, but theoretically, it seems right to me. Yeah, I mean, in these things, all these, in a way, you know, if you were to go back to the days of the founding fathers, 200 years ago, it would have been very, very hard to do. It's a little bit like the town hall meeting, yeah. but like for every decision. Yes. In, and it was like, well, you need to send your representative. Yes. Whatever person. Yes. Here, you can selectively say, it's it's almost like like. Facebook or something. I'd say like, uh, I like Jack, and I just say Jack. However, Jack votes, I vote. Yes. So I've just essentially I just give you my vote. Yes. And like now Jack has the power of two votes. Yes. But let's say Jack, you like Darren. Darren. Yes. <laughs> and you go like, I'm just gonna allocate all my votes to Darren. So now yes. Jack's vote goes to Darren, and yes. my vote goes along with Jack's vote to totally. Darren. Yes. And now Darren has 
three, three votes. votes. Yes, absolutely. Right? And this idea that you could dynamically and digitally allocate how you I, want decisions I to be like made. I, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty open to that being much more tested than it has been. Because yeah. we, we can also get domain specific, right? So you, you yeah. like, I like Jack on, I don't know, global citizenship stuff or environmental stuff, you know, but I like Darren on business stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and obviously not every issue can be easily delineated into one domain, but we still do think of government that way, right? There's a department for state, there's a department for the regions, there's a department for agriculture. Yep. So you, you could somehow come up with a way that, you know, either every decision was in a particular vertical or if it was, you know, half agriculture and half environment, we're going to somehow allocate the votes. I mean, all these things can be thought through. Yep. And it's real time, right? We make a decision you don't like. You're like, you know what? Darren's not really voting how I like him to vote anymore. And so you just take it away from Darren. Take it away rather than I've got to wait five years. And by the way, I didn't even vote for Darren anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And it, I mean, this is such a blunt mechanism. I just think the way that we do democracy is such a blunt mechanism. Yep. Given how much specificity and lifestyle design so many of us have yep. as consumers, as freelancers, as workers in organizations that have a lot of flexibility, that have organizational democracy. It's like politics is out of step with how we're doing our lives. And that's going to be grist for the evolutionary mill, I hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a way that, you know, it's to me, like, you know, I get stars in my eyes thinking of, oh, wow, we could do all these like digital this and there'll be an app and it'll p pop up. It's like, Hey, you might care about this vote or whatever. Yes, but all this you stuff know. has yet to be proven. It's not. It's it's not quite there. Right. But all of the protocol layers to yes. revisit an earlier topic are starting to fall into place. Like one protocol layer, you might even say, is is the platform of Facebook. Yes. Even though that's privately held or privately owned. Yes. The idea of a social network where we're all interconnected yes. with these friendless and what have you. And this well, idea of Bitcoin where you can trade Bitcoins or you could buy into this DAO thing, this yes. DAO thing, and get voting shares in it. I don't, I don't know if they've figured out how, how they're going to decide things. Yes. But you know, imagine like an, an alternate reality or a, like a even like a more uh, socialistic version of like Uber mm -hmm. where the drivers. Yeah. Well, there, are, there are driver-owned Ubers. I mean, they're not successful in the scale at uber is but i think there's one in denver right yeah but that would be that would be really cool if if they could do that and then you know because you know, sometimes uber drivers sitting there going like i feel like i'm getting sort of screwed by yeah. the way that i'm getting yeah paid well can we can we adjust the way that the dispatch algorithm the payment algorithm works yes you know and somebody goes like hey like let's let's do it this way yes. and now suddenly like oh like let's change the car dispatching algorithm in this particular way and yes. now it's like a code change. Yes. You love that. App yeah, yeah. Is like policy. Yeah. It's like a law yes. that like a, a, a representative has yes. like proposed, except it's written in computer code. Yes. And then there's a way that we can all say like, yes, 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 or say, no, no, no. Say yes to the and that, and yeah. that, does that update go in or not? And then when the update goes in, code essentially, this is, this is a concept that Larry Lessig created yes. when he wrote code back in the 90s. It, he said like law... I mean, we, we talk about like the code of law, you know, yes. in, in yes. and computer Actually, code. They're yeah. actually fairly equivalent. It's our it's our thoughts and ideas about how the world works or how we want the world to work or yes. how we want a particular little sub chunk of the world to yes. work. Like yeah. it's our like that's what computer code is. It's our thoughts 
sort of like yes. implemented in like a machine. contracts. Right. And yeah. that's the whole idea behind the DAO and other organizations that could be these totally collectively owned, collectively governed assets. Yes. Which to me is, if these things start taking off and people like, you know, do the five flags thing and totally opt out of paying taxes to states, you know, totally opt into these global spanning entities that are no longer corporations in the way that we think of them. Yes. Beholden to their shareholders. And they're no longer states that are beholden to like a geographical location or a political yes. group of people. They're in the cloud. Right. It's like a, it's some weird entity that just sort of exists out in mental space, like the newosphere or whatever yes. you want to call it. Yes. But we're, we actually opt out of these other entities and we opt into that yes. because we want, because it's better <laughs> or because we like it better. Like, yes. it's like we're picking and choosing like that mass, that hyper customization yeah. thing that we talked about. Totally. Yeah. So I, I sense that good things are going to come from that. But, I, yeah. but do you think this will overtake like something like the Eurozone or the EU or these kinds of things Like, will, well, are these things just going to essentially just be like leapfrogged? These, like, will the EU be leapfrogged in a way? You know, like these well, issues that seem like you know, like Trump and building the wall to keep out the Mexicans, or the UK referendum to like move out or whatever. Like, these are really hot today. Like, does it seem like we're gonna finally address it in a way that works, like within those systems, or do you think that these other yes. systems will essentially just like surpass them, and then suddenly like the tax base of all the states like sort of like just starts plummeting because everyone's figured out how to like get out of them. Or do you think it's uh, going to be like, they're going to have to, now the states are going to have to compete with the, the cloud entities. And now we'll have this weird <laughs> yeah. Skynet versus the U S yeah. <laughs> or the UN. Or, like, right. Or the EU. I well, mean, I, I imagine that there's some uh, coexistence of mm -hmm. these structures for, 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 yeah for a fair while yet well they do coexist right now they do yeah. yes and um the i mean way back like in the early days of our meeting and sort of riffing on some of these themes and and me being a bit more kind of natively centrist and you being more natively decentralist yes and the sort of sticking point that i would kind of keep coming back to was back then was around security you know mm -hmm. sort of like the base of the maslow pyramid the fundamental duty of government is the, you know, the salus populi, the lex suprema salus populi, the highest law is the safety of the people. You know, they yeah. used to say that in Rome. And so I wonder how that looks until we've handled those threats. Like I get that, you know, yes. you and I, or people that are relatively, uh, you know, pro-travel, that we can sort of you know, mostly move around the world without too many like big security threats, yet we might be, you know, some unfortunate victim of terrorism somewhere. Yeah. But mostly we don't need the state to protect us mostly, although of course it does. Right. Because there's police everywhere. We're benefiting and there's from a, it. You know, there's a court system, there's this, all this stuff. So I, I don't see that that maybe will completely go away, but I'm, what I'm imagining is that there will be, that the domain of what we think of as the realm of the state might start to shrink. And maybe it already is as these other domains grow up. Yeah. You know, and yes, the state can do justice and there'll be some things that will probably still be processed that way for a while. And then there might be these other kinds of, you know, if you have a dispute with an app that was built by some Kiwis who live in, 
Cameroon who incorporated in Lithuania yeah. like you as a global consumer and citizen will want some way to be able to deal, with, know, that. deal with that with due process which might yeah. be like through some kind of private arbitration court you know yeah. so I, I think we're going to see a loosening of the realms of what is private and what is public and what is maybe in, in the blurring of the lines I think so because, because that entity Ethereum as you're talking about it is sort of like public-private right it's kind of like a public-private partnership it's private to all the people that are in, but the level of people in is at the level we would normally think of as public or statist, you know, or, yeah. you know, even something like Facebook, if Facebook were a publicly held utility, as some people wish it were, yeah. it's like, right, wow, like, okay, yeah, one to two billion people are part of this entity, yeah, you know, and it, maybe eventually we could have an entity that everyone had a stake in, right, you could imagine something like a Facebook eventually including everyone, you know, yeah, maybe, or the majority of the world. And if there was some way of handling totally. governance, like that is a form of global governance. Yep. You know, maybe it's limited to a very specific domain. Um, maybe the DAO will build an alternate to Facebook. It'll be totally decentralized, like Bitcoin. I could imagine that that would happen. It could, it could happen. I, I think quite a lot of people that use Facebook don't like the fact that it's still a venture-backed Silicon Valley. And, and they get to like unilaterally like decide yes. code changes. Like totally within themselves. Which I mean, is there's strange, right? To a lot of that, to your kind of tech Linuxy kind of community, the fact that you know Facebook would just be like, "Yeah, cool, guys, policy change," which you have to click agree to. But who, who, you can't really disagree. What does it mean if you disagree to Apple's change of service? It's like I no longer have service, right? You know, <laughs> so it's a fairly blunt instrument, you know. Yeah. Um, but on the, on the other side, what would make it really hard, like what seems like would have to be present, is a way or a means by which disputes and decision making can be rapidly integrated. Yes. Because if now you're talking about like, well, Facebook policy change is being governed by the, the 1.5 billion people that are on Facebook or whatever, yes. whatever the hell it is. Yes. That's kind of nuts. And like to think of the traditional ways of like courts or yes. legislatures, like, you know, that's then suddenly we're sitting there going like, well, that's nuts. So then these ideas like, <laughs> liquid democracy or yes like how do i how do i rapidly participate yes like day to day yes. opting in or opting out of yes. like selecting code changes or just yes. trusting jack to select code changes on my behalf yes. in certain domains or under certain hashtags or whatever yes i'm just like okay like yes. there will have to be some, some means apparatus yeah yeah that you, doesn't you quite have some exist experience with this right because you you authored wikipedia stuff right you, like yes like things like the Feldenkrais page and stuff yes, like that. Yes, yes. So Wikipedia has a way of doing that, and it's a pretty big community. I mean, the community of people that write and edit and resolve is probably relatively small versus yes. the user base. Yes. But well, I, mean, I would say there's like three major tiers. Like there's the user base, the, we, the readers, which is yes. a massive amount of the world. Yes. A then, few of whom will pay to chip in, and most of whom probably don't. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And then the middle tier are the editors. These are the people who write and you can actually be an anonymous editor there's oh, there's can. hundreds even thousands of these people huh. and a lot of them they just you know say i want to change the text on this page and they click edit and they go change the text on the page yes uh at the above that level are essentially the the governance yes uh groups yes. so those people have more exclusive permissions to do things like you can lock a page from being edited right for example or you can block a user from right. editing any further right and you can do these kinds of more administrative powers yes and those powers have been granted to them like uh you know the wikipedia foundation didn't start off with like a constitutional law or this is the way that we're all going to make decisions it was crowdsourced and it was kind of bottom up huh 
in a way, and they yes. ended up in, and they're right. It's emergent, yeah. and they have things that are like like policy level, and they have things that are like more like recommendation level stuff, and they have dispute resolution, and they have a whole escalation process. Yes, which you could say is an analog to something like a public court system or legislature is, or something you know? like that, yeah. but with a very very narrow domain. Like yes. the people that are making decisions about Wikipedia yes. edits, like they're not governing. Uh, you know, they're not nuclear like weapons. the IRS taking <laughs> yes. your money or like governing nuclear weapons or making yes. decisions about where you can or can't put your kids in school or whatever. Yes. Like so, they're just governing yes. that tiny little slice of reality, which is yes. how Wikipedia is edited, which most people honestly don't give a shit about. They yes. just want to read wanna, Wikipedia. Totally. Yeah. Right. But, but you, I mean, there is the analog to general civics there, which is most people don't really care how the court system works, maybe until they happen to find themselves in it. Or you yep. know, or they want to pursue a legal career. So, the vast majority of decision making is a small group of people, not necessarily the same small group of people, but who are actually involved yep. in you know environmental standards and how that interfaces with business and yeah, you know, um, and in a sense, Wikipedia therefore seems to me a bit like a duocracy, right? It's like if you want to get involved, yeah, and you show that you have some chops and enough you add enough value mm -hmm. and the community standards and stuff then and you develop a reputation and you have a right. lot of high quality edits and it's a bit like, like linux a good a good citizen you're very polite in yes. terms of how you're, then you're just like oh this guy would be good we would really like him right but then they have little votes and stuff they have little like the, vote to promote this person and they, they do, do. Oh, yeah really? it's, huh. it's it's a whole world back it's there. the whole world back on the backside of wikipedia it's That's really trippy yeah. But it is, in a way, it's not a full, like, distributed autonomous thing. No. Like, the Wikimedia Foundation still runs and operates the Wikipedia servers. Yes. But you could, theoretically, just take all the data on all the Wikipedia servers and just, like, like create a code base that runs it on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. And now, essentially, there's nobody that is controlling or maintaining or paying to maintain uh the wikipedia right. like infrastructure the hardware infrastructure is just collectively yes it's just owned by the blockchain networks. it's like purely yeah. a peer-to-peer -peer network huh. and so like this is what i'm talking about when these protocol layers get layered in things can like essentially migrate uh such that the the ownership becomes so decentralized yes even though it's still private in a certain sense it's, it's it starts to resemble to a public good way. yes yeah that's, like the dynamic, the economic dynamics becomes much more like some kind of collectivized yes. good yes. that we govern together. And now sort of civics kind of just reappears in the consumer world or some. It's just it's yeah. fascinating so, how these things kind of converge. If you sort of let go of ideology of like capitalism versus socialism, yes. private enterprise versus, you know, government, you actually start to see like there all these things are are different ways of socially coordinating yes. with other people. Yes. It's that's just, what's being reimagined. Th that's just it's, all it's that it that is. that deep infrastructure of social coordination. Exactly. Economically, politically. Cool. Yeah. And that's what we've been talking about. Is, <laughs> In a uh, lot of different forms. So I'm looking at a little mind map here. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like you have to say before we wrap up? we really got to put in there. Uh, let me see. You know, oh, uh, there's, there's one thing I want to just say about the yeah. EU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a as a as a, a pro EU thing, mm -hmm. um, pro centrist. 
<laughs> well, what, what I like about the EU is it transforms the nature of citizenship, right? So yeah. you're now a national citizen and you have this transnational citizen identity. Yeah. You only get the transnational identity by dint of the national identity. I think in the fullness of time, that will start to change, right? Where someone mm -hmm. could be, technically could be a European citizen. They could just say, I renounce French citizenship, but I want to be a European citizen and I want to be able to move around Europe. Right. And there's a way that- Like this, that guy, the, global, the original global citizen guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. They can't, a, can't quite do that right now. You've got to get carried along by your state. Yes. So if yeah. the UK opts out, then the UK citizens are not going to be European citizens. Right. Yeah. I mean, they may be in a soft cultural way, which is sort of what the Leave people say, but in the kind of hard political legal way, they're not going to be. Yeah. Um, which is why they often recall it democracy. I don't know if you heard that term, which is the, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, the, so rather than democracy, which is a demos, this is demoi. This is a number of demoses uh -huh. coming together, 28 of them, yeah. to then constitute something new and different. Um, and so I think sometimes people miss some of the genius of the EU. Yes. Like, and I get if I'm in an ethnocentric perspective, I'm just not going to really see that. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it's both federalist and intergovernmentalist, it means that these mm -hmm. identities of being a national and European citizen can coexist. Yes. And I think that adds something. Um, and also, the, so the UK has more opt-outs, has four opt-outs yeah. more than any other country. So there definitely is a special status for the UK in, in the right. EU, as I the see it. The pound is still the pound. Right, so we're not in the Eurozone and we're also not in Schengen, so it means that, that we do have our own passport control. Got we're, it. We're Schengen, say what Schengen is? Schengen is the zone, historically, that you could move between without showing a passport. So if you land in uh, Germany, yeah. then you can, once you've cleared immigration there, then you can just move around the Schengen zone. Free movement with, of people. Right, yeah. but it, and, it, and, and for tourists. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So it's yep. like, it's just a borderless zone, right? There's still, right. As, as a tourist, you're going to have a 90-day visa and that should be honored, but... Um, but free movement within the Schengen zone. Yes. Yep. Um, which, so the, but it's to do with passports because the, 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 it, the single market is built upon free movement of people. So any country in the single market, which is not just the EU, right? It includes countries like Norway. And so this is something that's bigger than the EU the single well, market zone or the something single like. market yes this is the thing so it's what you were talking about there's all these overlapping constituencies or, or frameworks yes or governances within europe so there's there's the eurozone is who has the euro there's the schengen zone which means do i have to show a passport to cross a border whether i'm a european citizen or whether i'm a non-european citizen i yep. won't have to show a passport yeah then there's the single market which is the free trade zone got it referred to as the eea the european economic area yeah which has all of the EU countries, plus some other ones that have said, we want to opt into that, to but EA, we don't want the political not, union. Yep. Which is referred to, not in, in the UK conversation at the moment, is referred to as the Norway model. So a lot of the okay. levers are like, let's just do what Norway does. We're going to have to pay in, but then we don't have any involvement in the lawmaking. So we're purely law takers, because we have to agree to all the rules of the, of the single market, of which there are many. Got so it. there's going to be worker protocols, there's going to be human rights, there's going to be worker rights, there's going to be product standards, there's going to be consumer protections, all yeah. built into it. Yeah. So it's kind of like a big opt-in, right? Norway says, cool, we like that, we opt-in. Yeah. So do the Brexiters actually, are they united behind like doing the EEA, like the Norway no, model? that is a bit They're of a They're actually an internal is, split. Right. So this one. is the, the, the Leave campaign, they call it Project Fear. The, yeah. the, the, the Remainers are saying, well, we don't know what it looks like if we leave. But there's some truth to that, it seems, because there's no particular one thing that you would be opting into if you were to leave. You know, that would be, we then have to decide that. 
You mean so that's the, all the way out? The, yeah, all the way out. Right. And at the moment, it's pretty 50-50. So this is not a, like an unlikelihood that this could happen. Yeah. And so there's the Norway model, there's the Switzerland model, there's the Canada model, right? So Canada's mm -hmm. been negotiating a massive free trade agreement with the EU, seven years in the making, still hasn't been signed, <laughs> but won't have free movement of people. Right. So depending whether you want free movement of people is whether you be the Norway model or the Canada model. But I, I wanted to just talk to that because it's like, this is a more opt-in way of doing governance. It's still, it's still pretty clunky in many ways, but it's like versus say Texas and the US, it's like Texas being in the union, there's just so many things that it has to say yes to. Right. It can't be like, uh, we want to actually have people show passports on our borders or we want to have our own Texas currency. Right. And I get that this is different, right? The United States is a fully federal thing. Europe is both intergovernmental and federal, so it's different. But I mm -hmm. like what the European Union is pointing to because we're starting to get more choice. Yes. Now, it's only exercised at the national level. It's not. I want it to be both at the national but devolved down to the actual citizen eventually yep. where you can start to opt in and opt out and your digital token says, oh, this guy has the right to work here, pays his tax there, is moving his tax owner there. Right. Like, Eventually, right. we can get to something like that. Like your passport is like a little, it's not even a passport. It's not? like your, it's your universal ID, yeah, which a, sort of like has all, like all these little yeah. data points on like what, what does or does not apply to you or yes. what part of a treaty you are. And like, you know, if, if you did it with at the digital nomad level, at the yes. individual person level, yes. it essentially is you opting in and out of like being a customer of a corporation or... Yes these trade trade zones or a currency zone or using a currency like people already are using multiple currencies anyway like yes. bitcoins and euros and dollars yes like, and and this idea of like the full full customization i think is is down the road for the masses but this experiment at multiple levels that the eu is doing is really cool and it's like a, there's a lot more dynamism yes. than in what's a, happening in the united federal states nation state. and I a federal so. nation state and these different, like, I think a lot of people think of EU, like, especially in the U.S., people think, yeah. oh, the EU is just the EU. And they're like, oh, wait, wait, the EEA and the, yes. the, the Eurozone and the Schengen Zone, these are all, like, yes, different It's kind of complex for the things. average person to understand, in a way, unless you're into it. Totally, yeah. unless you're into yeah. it. And, but what's cool is this is, um, I mean, if we think of, you know, to invoke the you know evolutionary, like, yes. progression of, you know, especially if you think of cultural as evolution or you have yes. a kind of progressive view of history. Yes. Yes. Like this is essentially the, the cutting edge or the bleeding edge that we're talking about here of, of experimentation, you yes. know, and, and that's how nature works. Like it, yes. it's not like, you know, uh, premeditated no. knowledge that this it's is not, going to be better than that. It's not Stalinist it's, planning. No. no, it's just like, okay, like nature just tries, we're going to try this, we're going to try this, we're going to try yeah. this, we're going to try that. Well, what? There's try, a kind of pragmatism then, to it. Totally. Yeah. And so we're going to try Euro and we're going to try Bitcoin and we're going to try... <laughs> you know, an LLC company yes. or a privately held company or a federalized nation state or a weird Eurozone or intergovernmental thing. And it's like, they're all coexisting in the global economy slash ecology yes. right now. Yes. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily going to converge to one specific kind of solution. Yes. But but I think people are participating it on it in multiple kind of ways. And, and certain things feel more clearly regressive. Yes. Like... Trumpism feels somewhat regressive. Yes. Or, uh, you know, the, the full, like, UK withdrawal seems yes. a little regressive to me. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes. And, and in some ways, Bernie sort of feels both progressive he's, and regressive. He's a progressive regressive. Yeah. <laughs> like, simultaneously, which I think is kind of interesting. But, like, yes. and then, but then there's certain things that are, like, radically experimental. Yes. Like, people don't know what will happen with Bitcoin in 10 years. Like, that's just going to, like, 
if that Bitcoin economy will just collapse forever and just disappear off the face of the earth, or if it like it'll become like a huger and huger sector of the yes. global economy that may also happen i can't imagine that it won't i mean I, whether bitcoin itself survives i see that a bit like napster like maybe it'll make it maybe it won't but that but whole something. way of organizing yeah i think it's here to stay and grow yeah yep yeah and so i think people can kind of locate themselves like people who are listening to us like where i mean maybe they they've they're very familiar with uh digital nomad diy culture burning yes. man culture yes but they haven't really been familiar with these more global political more traditional kind of yes kind of institutionalized th experiments that are yes happening or vice versa yes. that sometimes there's people who like yes. they're really into like civics and they're yes. really into uh you know debating or like posting totally. about politics and, yes. and they're like they're not realizing there's this whole yes informal digital like yes semi-anarchist thing yes it's like yes like seeping through like almost every sector like the internet yes. protocols essentially took over the world yes. like no one's going to build another internet that's incompatible with the internet now yes like that's just never going to happen right like but these things uh that are still rising like the dow or the bitcoin or whatever they're they're, they don't quite have the coverage. Yes. But like maybe these things will be like these bottom up, like it'll become like reading and writing, mm -hmm. right? Or it'll become like talking. Like yes. there was a time when, you know, there were no species on earth that talked and now there are. Yes. And we're all over the place, right? Like this could be something that universal that yes. is like in, in a way, if you sort of zoom out the time horizons, like, you know, the... The Trump Bernie thing will seem a little less relevant yes. in the face of like a larger trend towards, uh, you know, like like voluntary incentivized universal systems that yes. like we don't even think about. No one thinks like, am I gonna am I gonna be a person who talks or not? Like people, don't, <laughs> you just it's just built into you, right? Yes. Like at yes. this at this point, yes, and like this, I think some of these things in the background in the longer term yes. will start to resemble more like, you know, yeah. the water protocol and the air protocol or totally. whatever. Yeah. It's just kind of like yeah. the water that we're swimming in, so to speak, like yes. everywhere. Yeah. Well, the internet's like that, and I don't think many of us think of it that way. Like the, the mm -hmm. internet is a very sort of specific unfolded decision pathway or set of protocols that in an alternative reality could have been completely different, right? Like yep. it wouldn't have been www. It wouldn't have been hyperlinks. It would have been some other Some other thing. It. But yeah. now it sort of is what it is. Yeah. And it's freaking everywhere. It's yeah. in the air just floating through the air we breathe right now. Yes. It's just everywhere. Yes. Which is weird. Yeah. But cool. I think just, and I, I think we probably need to wrap up the... Totally. the uh, <laughs> we just went off. <laughs> the, 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 this idea that you would have uh, so like a, your passport would show all your opt-ins and opt-outs and you know, yeah. and things you contribute to or ways that you're taxed or not taxed. Um, I would be comfortable that there might be a few things in there that it's like because you're on planet Earth, this has to be part of it. You or, can't or, opt out? Or at least... We just eject you into space? <laughs> well, I mean... You need to go to the penal colony satellite. No, you just, join, you just you join Elon Musk and you just chip off the Mars. I mean, it's not that hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, but at the moment, right, there's a whole set of things that just by being a member of a nation state, you have to do. It's not like, oh, do you want to pay your tax? Yes, okay. Some of the it's like the default settings. Right. It's like the default settings. And will it might there be, still be default settings? Yes. And will and maybe the default setting could be like you have to do one of A, B, or C, or you have to do one of A to Z, and there's 26 ways it could manifest. But you have to but do there's, one. There's like, you, yeah, there's some things that we're just, as a collective, we're agreeing that for us, for this to work, this has to, this has to be like, part of it. Can you 100% opt out is the thing. Yeah. There's yeah. something about 100% opt, opt, opting out that... Most of my ways that I've experienced that with people doesn't feel quite socially good to me. It doesn't but. feel socially good, but here's the thing. Like, this is kind of gets into, like, the social part of our, uh, our, our minds and our yes. brains and what we attend to. And, like, uh, and, and also brings in a little bit of game theory as well. Like, we are hyperactively vigilant, even in, like, villages. Like, who is going to cheat us? Who is going to... Yes. Essentially, be the free rider, like benefit yeah. from the exchange, totally. but then defect the free, the free on, yeah. on future things. Like so, like coordination issues and the free rider problem are classics in economics and game yes. theory, and is the like the most rational argument for something like a state or some kind of centralized thingy that like coordinates us together, yes. right? Because because you know the the punishment, so to speak, or even if it's not like a you know a punishment like a beating or something like. The punishment of just not getting to participate yes. in the benefits of a thing, yes, like start to become like you know it almost triggers this like primal fear yeah. that you'll you'll be the the village outcast yeah, and ostracized. you're going to starve to death and yeah. you're going to be ostracized. So I think I I'm I'm not quite sure that it needs to be this thing. Ultimately, it's like well you have to pick something from A to Z. You don't get 100% opt out. But maybe there will be. I mean, maybe there will be people who are sort of like, I really want the 100% opt-out. Yeah. And then, I mean, what is it? It's like, oh, well, we have a little... I mean, it's the analog of Australia was to the UK or something. Like, There's a little island. And that's where the 100% opt-out people go, right? And it's sort of like this... Yeah, well, it could be a seastead, right? It could or be... A, right, like and it's like, well, what do you guys get? Well, you don't get anything. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that I can see. No, and I'm not, um, I'm not ideologically opposed to that. I mean, that, that seems fair to me. I, I think it's just for us to be really sober about the free riding and about the ways that people are opted out, but they're still benefiting from the other stuff and that the, that that relationship isn't being acknowledged, right? So if you're going to live in a country that has a judicial system, right, that you, right. even if you never or use security it, protection. Of, yeah, yeah. There's, there's those sorts of things. But I think if we can have sober conversation about that, then potentially why not? Totally. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it's um, a little bit of a philosophical kind of extreme position, like yes. where it's like, I could like, imagining a person who would genuinely want to one hundred percent opt out of everything. Right. Like, actually, most people are sort of like, no, I, I want, I want recourse. I want to know that if you fuck me over in this business deal, I can sue you. <laughs> right. Like, I want. Right. That's what I want. Yeah. Right. And I know, and I want to know that, like, if I sue you, yes, yeah, I'm going to successfully succeed at yeah. suing you. Yeah. Right. But in order to do that, like you and me both have to be opted in. Yes. To the system that makes that happen. Yes. For both of us. Yes. Hopefully we never have to use it. But it's it's you know, it's a little bit like, well, you know, you got your gun and I got yeah. my gun and we're very happy to opt into both having guns because we don't yes. have to use them, yeah. right? Like Yes. It's something weird like that. But like this this there's yeah. something uh there's something about the social infrastructure that even even if you're not like opting in 
to like, you know, peace and love and kumbaya, you're at least opting into, I want to have recourse against people who fuck me. <laughs> right? Like, right? You're sounding American now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying like, it's hard for me to imagine me kind of going up. Yes. Right. Okay. So, so Jack, you want to opt out. Yes. hundred percent. Yes. You want to give you up. No you have, you have no, no recourse. You have no recourse at me. all. I left the system. If you're totally out of the system, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> nothing. You'll, you'll please like I'm gonna me. just beat you to to a pulp, and I'm gonna take all your shit. But you opted out of the system, so yeah. So no one's gonna come. No one's gonna come either. and protect you. Yeah, that's the thing, right? But as long as we can find intelligent ways of dealing with those issues, I don't know what they are, but yeah, you know, maybe that's another conversation for us at some point. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, like it's hard to think of somebody who would actually be incentivized to 100 percent opt out. Right. The counter incentives are so massive. Yes. The reality of 100% opt out. Yes. Like giving up all recourse is yes. is so frightening. Yes. For I think it's probably frightening to like 99.9999% of I mean maybe there's some people who have genes or brains that are like so antisocial or psychopathic <laughs> right, right. that they're like yeah, sure bring it. I'll opt <laughs> out. You come get me and I'll just kill you like or whatever. Like <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> but uh, okay, sure. They can they can I don't know. Right. Put them on an island or something. Right. <laughs> Put them on a space I, station. I could imagine that if 150 of us were living on some kind of seastead and we all have a certain developmental gravity that somehow we have a way of testing for that we believe in, mm-hmm. that there might be a number of those recourse protocols that are deprioritized. Right? So it's sort of like in Boulder, sometimes you imagine like you see the police cars, you're like, do we need that? Like. Maybe we do, and maybe oh, yeah. if they didn't, they weren't here for a day, all sorts of chaos would break out. But I sort of feel like in certain cultures where it's like enough stuff has just been kind of ingrained yeah. through the socialization, through yeah. the development, whatever, that some of those lower kind of recourse needs might not be there. But, you know, there's a, yeah. it's not without risk. Yeah. You know, you may need it one day, and it's sort of like the rainy day, you know, the one yeah. time you need a policeman, there's no one. Yeah. You know, I mean, like to it. bring in spiral dynamics analysis or interval kind of analysis, like, yes. Uh, it would be dangerous and unwise to completely cut yourself off at the knees. So if you're sort of like, well, we all like, we're all so like into Bernie and socialism yes. and this and that. Yes. We love each other and we do circling yeah. and we do holacracy and yeah. we like, we have a Bitcoin economy and oh. we're all like, this is, this is wonderful. Like, and we're all so like positively incentivized to benefit from the rad shit that we're all into <laughs> together. It's like, okay, great. Yeah, we don't need the police. We don't need the jails. We don't need the whatever. Let's just get rid of them. And then you get rid of them, and guess what happens? Like, path of least resistance. Those, If Spiral Dynamics is right, like, you still have that fucked up part of you in your thing that's going to be like, oh, wow, the police are gone now. I'm going to go fuck them now. Like, because I can. Right? <laughs> I love where this podcast is ending up. <laughs> I mean, it's it kind of comes out of like, do you what you believe about right. human nature? It does. Like, if you believe that the most evolved parts can essentially like run the get others. so big or like sort of just take over the whole being that like suddenly all the, the all the parts of us that are like that want to cheat or that want to be lazy or that want to like yes take advantage of other people will suddenly like magically disappear forever. Like maybe some people believe that that's the way human nature. Is. I personally do not. Right. I haven't seen anybody. I mean, who is anything close to that? Like, I expect people to be people, and generally speaking, all those parts are still going to be in there, which means we need the correlating part in the social infrastructure. Right. Structure. Like, I, we I, always I will need it. That's true. Right. But maybe some amount of relaxation, and this is where I think the balance point is, that 
is if the positive incentives yes, are, so are getting so good, yes, right? Like it is, it's like a downhill slide to just like, well, fuck, I gotta have the internet and yes. shit. I gotta use dollars and money. Yes, you know, when I, it's like that sort of. We gotta talk and we gotta use writing. Okay, yeah, like <laughs> sure. It, those the incentives are so good. We're just all gonna keep doing them. Yes, it actually allows the lower level things That's to true. relax. Yeah, yeah. I, I will have a conversation with you. Like, please share your coconut with me instead of, you know, yeah. beating you over it. the head to take your coconut. Like, yes. because I can ask you for it now. Yes. It's better yes. to ask you for it yes. than it is to do the other thing. Totally. Right? But that's because we can now talk. So, like, in this, I believe these protocols, the, the, the bigger and thicker and more universal and the more they seep in, like, mm-hmm. these, especially these digital sort of clouds that, that we're now all opting into when yes. we opt out of these other more antiquated systems. The, I think the positive incentives will become more dominant. Yes. And the negative incentives will become more and more in the background. Yes. But they are still going yes. to be there. Yeah. Like, you know, and, you know, maybe some Kumbaya people will go like, oh, well, let's do 100% opt-out because we don't need any of that shit anymore. And you go like, okay, cool. And they, well, they, they 100% opt-out and they don't really realize yes. the implications. Or when they do, yes. then they go, oh, suddenly yes. the whole spiral lights up and they go, oh, yeah. Right. This is yeah. this is where being like a self-aware, fully integrated person, like recognizing the more animal primal aspects yes. of yourself and the loving aspects of yourself and the creative aspects yes. of yourself are all going to continue to be at play. If you're aware of that inside of yourself, you'll you'll make more intelligent or wise decisions in terms of like how you're choosing to participate, how you're choosing to allocate your time, your energy, your money, your yes. your votes your or whatever, yeah. like in the creation of this, you know, system that's still in the process of emerging, like, yes. and yeah, yeah. Like preserving things like recourse will be a part of that. Yes. Yeah, totally. Cool. Lots I could say about that, but I'm going <laughs> to... I just opened up a can of words. In the interest of public safety. Bam! <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> um, this has been good, man. I hope, fun hope, hope we can do this again. Yeah, cool. Um, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for being with me. Yep. Later. All right.